hppodcraft.com. We are boys. May the merciful gods, if indeed there be such, guard those hours where no power of the will or drug that the cunning of man devises can keep me from the chasm of sleep. Death is merciful, for there is no return therefrom. But with him who has come back out of the nethermost chambers of night, haggard and knowing, peace rests nevermore. Fool that I was to plunge with such unsanctioned frenzy into mysteries no man was meant to penetrate. Fool or God that he was, my only friend, who led me and went before me, and who in the end passed into terrors which may yet be mine. By the way, that's Frenzy with a PH. Frenzy with a PH? Yeah. You know, like you would say something's fat. <laughs> frenzy would be frenzy with a ph would be a great name for lovecraft inspired clothing line oh yeah you know, i'd like that really classic pieces but they're all frayed at the edges that would be oh uh that was <laughs> the op- the opening paragraph of hypnos a yes. story by 1920s and 30s author hp lovecraft that's right and uh you are now currently listening to the hp lovecraft literary podcast in which we're discussing this story. My name is Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. And we are at hppodcraft.com. Well, this is going to be our last podcast of the year. That's right. Uh, this should be dropping right on New Year's Eve. That's right. Woo! knows. Two- we're going to be out of the aughts. Yeah, that's right. The, de- the decade's over. The decade's well, over. people argue about that. Yeah. As they did in the last decade. I yeah. say it's over. No more aughts. We're in the teens now. Yeah, well, I mean... Yeah, it's no more aughts. You wouldn't say aught. You no. don't say aught ten. No, you wouldn't. No, you say aught nine. So, so yeah, new decade uh, tomorrow. Now, you said this is the opening paragraph from Hypnos, uh, a short story by Lovecraft that he dedicated in the beginning to S.L. That would be Samuel Loveman. Samuel Loveman, whom yeah. we've uh, spoken about before. He was uh, in the dreams that inspired the statement of Randolph Carter. That's right. And Nyarlathotep. Yep. Those two were buddies. Yeah, there's some parallels to the story uh, with Randolph Carter. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this one is, though, another dreaming kind of story. It starts with a Baudelaire quote, which is, Apropos of sleep, that sinister adventure of all our nights, we may say that men go to bed daily with an audacity that would be incomprehensible if we did not know that it is the result of ignorance of the danger. So this is similar to Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of similarities to Beyond the Wall of Sleep and some of the other future works that are going to be coming out from Lovecraft. But right now, Hypnos, though, is about a guy who is a sculptor. Yes. The story references Hypnos, who in Greek mythology is the personification of sleep. Yes. He had this palace, which is this dark cave. There's no sun there. And at the entrance of Hypnos Palace, there's all these plants which have psychoactive properties like poppy seed plants all oh, right kind of yes yeah. uh but but you know in that quote from Baudelaire, we're postulating the dreaming is actually accessing another dimension yeah a possibly dangerous dimension and as you say there's this character this sculptor uh-huh. well well what happens is the the narrator the sculptor he he was walking in a railway station one day and then th- there's a, a commotion going on and there's right. a guy laying on the ground having a seizure basically yeah. like freaking out everybody's crowded around seeing what's going on and when he looked at this guy he was like whoa this older gentleman he was like in his 40s but he was you know beautiful there's something like kind of cherub like about his features or yeah. pores so he was well here here's a quote i think he was then approaching 40 years of age for there were deep lines in the face wan and hollow cheeked but oval and actually beautiful 
and touches of grey in the thick waving hair and small full beard which had once been of the deepest raven black. His brow was white as the marble of Pentelicus and of a height and breadth almost godlike. I said to myself with all the ardour of a sculptor that this man was a fawned statue out of antique Hellas, dug from a temple's ruins and brought somehow to life in our stifling age, only to feel the chill and pressure of devastating years. And when he opened his immense, sunken and wildly luminous black eyes, I knew he would be thenceforth my only friend. The only friend of one who had never possessed a friend before. For I saw that such eyes must have looked fully upon the grandeur and the terror of realms beyond normal consciousness and reality. Realms which I had cherished in fancy but vainly sought. So as I drove the crowd away, I told him he must come home with me and be my teacher and leader in unfathomed mysteries. And he assented without speaking a word. Afterward, I found that his voice was music, the music of deep vials and of crystalline spheres. We talked often in the night and in the day when I chiseled busts of him and carved miniature heads in ivory to immortalize his different expressions. The spazzing guy in the the railway station has become fast friends with him. Yeah, very fast. And they this is a, in a romantic comedy you'd call this the meet cute, uh, <laughs> you know, where they the, the the writers have to get the two characters together somehow. So this is like the the worst meet cute ever. <laughs> I met him while he was having a convulsion in the train station. <laughs> Um, oh. and, and, uh, but for some for some reason, our guy just like immediately recognized that this was another dream warrior type of guy. Yeah, know? this guy's special. He's you know, special. Th- yeah, there's something about him. And I, I have to admit, I mean, I was I was a little weirded out by this when I first read it. What do you mean? I didn't quite understand what was going on. So he came into the train station. This guy's freaking out. He looked at him and he's like, "I knew that this would be my only friend." Yeah, that is a really strange thing. Well, the narrator in the beginning says that he's he doesn't have many friends. He lives right. kind of a, a, a solitary life. It's really weird that you would just see somebody and go, yeah, he's going to be my friend. <laughs> I mean, I, I went through a phase, that's phase with a PH, by the way, when I was in... Uh, um, <laughs> As in junior high or something like that, where I was, Ooh. I was like into my dreams and trying to control my dreams, and I thought a lot about lucid dreaming. And I, I had a friend that was doing the same thing. We were both keeping dream journals and trying to be lucid dreamers. Wow! So I, I can kind of understand. I remember what that was like uh, to be. Now I think of dreams. I, I don't think of them actually. I right. Yeah. <laughs> I go to sleep. I have occasions I wake up and think, "Wow, that was a crazy dream." But I was sort of obsessed with it for a while without having read Lovecraft. True. Um, but I don't know if I'd pick up a cute little forty-year-old bearded guy in a train station <laughs> you know yeah i don't know i don't know it's uh it's it is strange and it, it kind of struck me as an immature crush almost like yeah i mean he just fell it, in love with this guy but he, it's a little weird you know yeah. and then they go back and they talk into the night and right. then they just uh and then they begin what he calls their their, their experiments their experiments yeah he says of our studies, it is impossible to speak since they held so slight a connection with anything of the world as living men conceive it. Okay, so we won't speak about details. <laughs> but we know that they were doing, um, you know, they're doing dream experiments. Of yeah, they're going to sleep and then they're going into another world. This is this yeah. is very similar to kind of beyond the wall of sleep exactly. stuff. Exactly. He and this bearded guy now, they, they move in together. They're living in Kent. He describes it as Hori Kent. Hori Kent, which is a south uh, east. 
England. Yeah. So it's a little southeast of London, actually. Right. And hoary gets used a lot. I mean, in Lovecraft's fiction, it just means very old. Yeah. But um, it does make a place sound pretty, pretty <laughs> awful, you know? I really don't think that that's on any of Kent's tourist brochures. <laughs> Come Welcome to, to Kent. Hoary Kent. <laughs> the hoariest place on earth. Um, they're living in this tower studio chamber together. And, and, and you get the sense, or he even kind of says it, they've both tried limited kind of dream researches before with limited amounts of success now they're going to try it out together yeah and this is going to help and he, there was something in this paragraph that puzzled me he talks about how a lot of wise men have interpreted dreams but they can't even really suspect what's really out there right and he says uh, one man with oriental eyes has said that all time and space are relative and men have laughed but even that man with oriental eyes has done no more than suspect who's the who's the I, is he is he talking about Confucius or is it Buddhism or uh, I mean, I, there's a lot of Asian philosophy that you know there is no time and space. Right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, t- relativity made me think of Einstein, but Einstein doesn't have Oriental eyes. <laughs> I know. I mean, if I think Oriental eyes, I think Peter Sellers. Maybe. He's like a white guy always putting Oriental eyes on. I, I don't. I really don't understand this. Uh, <laughs> it, it really did confuse me too. Maybe uh, he's talking about that song, Turning Japanese. He probably is not talking about that song. Turn, That's one I think we got to turn over to the audience because I didn't quite know if there's a specific philosopher, Asian philosopher, he's talking about. Yeah, no, or or maybe he, maybe because Einstein was o- old and he kind of droopy eyes that he looks somewhat Asian to Lovecraft. I don't know. I think he means an Oriental guy or an Asian person. Right, right. And that's just his cute way of saying it, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. And it's, it, it seems strange to me that Lovecraft would reference any Eastern metaphysical kind of thing because he wasn't, he wasn't into that. He was a man of science. Yeah, I also that he would mention it not with derision, but with these people who are the closest of you know. Yeah, exactly. But you know, then that, then again, what was the story where people where he said that if you're taking opium, you start to go back through Asian history? Uh, that was the one we did with Ken Height. Nyarlathotep or the Crawling Chaos. The Crawling Chaos. The Crawling Chaos. Yeah, right. If you take these drugs, you can go back through these ages. So he has. There are some precedents in the stories to talking about. Right. Uh, oriental history. Any, anyway, in the dreaming that these two guys are working on, um, our protagonist runs into a problem that I have on this show all the time. Among the agonies of these after days is that chief of torments, inarticulateness. What I learned and saw in those hours of impious exploration can never be told, for want of symbols or suggestions in any language. Human utterance can best convey the general character of our experiences by calling them plungings or soarings. For in every period of revelation, some part of our minds broke boldly away from all that is real and present, rushing aerially along shocking, unlighted and fear-haunted abysses, and occasionally tearing through certain well-marked and typical obstacles describable only as viscous, uncouth clouds or vapors. Yeah, that's kind of some cool uh, imagery and description. It's some From Beyond stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Which From Beyond is a little related to this, too. There's the master and the, the student kind of figure. Right, yeah. And, and introducing him to other dimensions, and one is ready to go a little further than the other. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, again, Randolph Carter. It You know, it's Herbert West. It's the other gods. It's the other gods. There's the yeah. other guy that'll go further. And... And he says, you know, when they go through these these soarings or these plungings, the friend is always a bit ahead. He's always kind of trying to get away with a little more. Yeah. Now, when they were doing now, one of the big things that, that when they were doing this, when they were awake, they weren't aging, right? Which was pretty insane and trippy that they yeah. they were doing this for, for for a long time, and at no point did they ever age. They somehow 
doing these dream journey interdimensional quests were keeping them youthful. Yeah, he says that you know time becomes an illusion to them, and partly because of the fact that they're not aging. And but you know our guy is pretty much in it for the research and the discovery, and he just wants knowledge. But yeah. th- this cute little bearded guy, he's got more of a supervillain bent to him. He does. <laughs> My friend once wrote on paper a wish which he dared not utter with his tongue, and which made me burn the paper and look affrightedly out of the window at the spangled night sky. I will hint, only hint, that he had designs which involved the rulership of the visible universe and more, designs whereby the earth and the stars would move at his command, and the destinies of all living things be his. I affirm, I swear, that I had no share in these extreme aspirations. Anything my friend may have said or written to the contrary must be erroneous, for I am no man of strength to risk the unmentionable warfare in unmentionable spheres by which alone one might achieve success. Man, so uh, wow, <laughs> so little little bearded man's getting a little power crazy. Yeah, I know. He, well, he again, it's the other gods, you know. He's it saying, is the other gods. I'm gonna go further and I'm gonna see the stuff and then I'm gonna master everything. Well, and it's Herbert West, you know, uh-huh. like you know, pushing forward wants to, you know, wants that. At any cost, yep. that that power that and Crawford you know, left has, yeah. Commonality among all these figures is they're all punished for it. Yes. always punished. Yes. It, it, this also reminds me of Beyond the Wall of Sleep in that there's some battling to be done in these dream realms, which yeah. references there. Mm-hmm. And you'll remember in that story, the other man, the dreamer, was being pursued or pursuing this demon star, Algol. Yep. That, that's correct. Yeah. And uh, in a bit, we'll talk about it. There's some constellation action going on. There in is as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what happens is that the bearded guy goes further than our protagonist one night. Yeah. And well, he tries to follow him, but right. he can't. Like there, he hits some kind of invisible wall. Yeah, it's this know. obstacle that he can't penetrate. Uh, even though he he thinks he knows his, his friend made it past. And again, you know, just he's that he's weak. He's held back. The other guy goes forward, and and then he's just left to kind of wait and find out what happened. He wakes up and he sees that his buddy is still sleeping. But then his buddy wakes up and screams. Right, and that makes our guy faint. <laughs> So this guy finally, I mean, this is kind of the other gods, you know, like he, uh-huh. he's glimpsed some stuff that he wasn't ready for and it, it freaked him out. And when they both wake up, well, so yeah, it freaks him out. And the, I think it's really funny that ch- that chain of events, the guy, our protagonist wakes up, his buddy's sleeping, his buddy wakes up, he looks at him, he faints, <laughs> then his buddy wakes him up. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, was thinking yeah. about this the other day because, um. You know, there's that, we haven't gotten to it yet, but there's that Houdini ghost-written story that Lovecraft did. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I know that Houdini liked that story, but his big problem with it was that Lovecraft had him faint in it. Right, yeah. He's like, I'm Houdini, I don't faint. <laughs> you know, people put me in a box filled with water, and I'm in there for ten minutes, and I get out, and I don't faint, you know? <laughs> Who are you? I just, like, <laughs> made him so mad. Lovecraft's like, wait, everybody doesn't faint? <laughs> I thought that was, you know... Yeah. Think two, three times a day. <laughs> well, so anyway, whatever that guy saw freaked him out. Uh-huh. Whatever was in his eyes freaked our guy out, and they say, "That's it. Dream research over." Yeah, and uh, they they go. You know, not only is dream research over, we're gonna try and not sleep as much as possible, and they start taking drugs to help exactly. them stay awake. And always, it reminds me of a Patricia Arquette in the beginning of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street three or whatever <laughs> one she was in. She's like drinking coffee and putting sugar in it and yeah. building uh, little model houses of Elm Street. Anything to stay away, <laughs> <laughs> which is what you know I would do. But this it flips now, so they do they can't help it. They do sleep yeah an hour or two hours at a time, mm-hmm. and when that happens, they get older. They yeah. start aging quickly. He says like almost before his eyes, he can see him aging. Yeah. 
it, it actually reminded me, and, and this is the drug thing, man. It, like I read a Time magazine expose of crystal meth uh-huh. when that was the new dangerous drug, mm-hmm. and all of the photos in it would be, you know, there'd be this picture of somebody. It would look like Judy Dench, and they'd say, "This woman's nineteen years old." <laughs> you know what? <I'm>, what? <laughs> it was so shocking, though. People, <laughs> people would be start taking meth, and then two years later, they would just be the crypt keeper. You know, right, they would yeah. age so much. Right, right, right. Um, but I think a lot of I think what it also he's saying is that their connection with this timelessness is being lost because right, they're not right. you know doing their their things but also uh, so the bearded man to kind of keep vital basically mm-hmm. and he didn't like being alone anymore right. so they would go out and find young revelers and yeah. and people to hang out with all the time at night he would not be alone nor would the company of a few persons calm him his sole relief was obtained in revelry of the most general and boisterous sort so that few assemblies of the young and the gay were unknown to us. Our appearance and age seemed to excite in the most cases a ridicule which I keenly resented, but which my friend considered a lesser evil than solitude. Especially was he afraid to be out of doors alone when the stars were shining, and if forced to this condition he would often glance furtively at the sky, as if hunted by some monstrous thing therein. So yeah, so basically these two old guys are crashing young young people's parties and... (laughs) That's awesome, because it made me think of your story. <laughs> yeah, when we uh, talked about The Outsider. When we talked about The Outsider, when you came over uh, to the young people's house, and everybody was giving, giving you Who weird looks and stuff. Who's that old guy? <laughs> yeah. But I imagine, in my head, they both are like, they have old man masks on. They're that old, you know? They're, 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 yeah, they're really old guys. But young bodies. They're like that terrible Six Flags commercial with that old man dancing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that guy, yeah. It freaks me out. It's it's. Uh, Is that just local? Does everybody see that thing? I, I hope. It's local. That so guy that looks like Junior not... Soprano and he's dancing around like MC Hammer. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so awful. Junior Soprano. We'll put a link up so people know what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, it's I'm hopefully sure. it is just local and, oh, I hope and so. other people in the yeah. country have not been exposed to that. That ad is Lovecraftian. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing in it makes sense. Um but anyway, well, so... Well, the protagonist notices that the, what the guy is looking at is a constellation. Yeah. Uh, the Corona Borealis. Yeah, the David Borealis. Uh, what? This is what I, no. You ever you read something and in your head you think that? For some reason, <laughs> every time I read Corona Borealis, I thought that. Uh, and this is the thing that seems to be stalking him, just like Beyond the Wall of Sleep. Right, right, right. Well, do you, do you know about the Corona Borealis? I don't know anything about it. It's also known as, known as the Northern Crown. The Corona Borealis was sometimes considered to be uh, represent the crown given by Dionysus to Ariadne, yeah. the daughter of Minos, right. of Crete. And uh, if you recall, she is the lady that helps out uh, the fellow with the Minotaur. The, um, Theseus? Yeah, Theseus. I didn't recall that, but... There you go. No idea. Yeah, well, so there's you know lots of Hellenic uh, legend. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Lovecraft likes his Greek myth. I, I know that this whole show so far has just been recounting of other uh, stories, but the tree, you know? Oh, yeah. This is definitely a lot of tree, tree stuff and, in there. Uh, uh-huh. Our Grecian sculptors. Well, uh, the guys have moved to London since they gave up the dream researches. Yeah. And they've holed up in a studio all old and poor. Uh, they've sold everything they own. Yeah. The narrator is keen to point out that he sold his sculptures. Yeah. Um, they're spending this money on drugs that keep them from sleeping more than an hour or two mm-hmm. here and there. And finally, they run out of money. They run out of drug. And the friend falls asleep. Yep. When he does fall asleep, our guy watches over him. Now, the, Coria- uh, the Corona Borealis is in the Northeast. And our protagonist seems to hear this whine mm-hmm. from off in the distance from the, from the constellation. 
But it was not that distant whine which robbed me of my faculties and set upon my soul such a seal of fright as may never in life be removed. Not that which drew the shrieks and excited the convulsions which caused lodgers and police to break down the door. It was not what I heard, but what I saw, for in that dark, locked, shuttered, and curtained room there appeared from the black northeast corner a shaft of horrible red-gold light, a shaft which bore with it no glow to disperse the darkness, but which streamed only upon the recumbent head of the troubled sleeper. Now, in this light, our guy sees not only the, the face of his friend, but mm-hmm. also this sort of dream face. Yeah. His dream representation. Yeah. Um, earlier in the text, he called it his memory face. And that's when they're traveling in dreams, that's sort of how he knows it's his buddy. Yeah. He sees this, like, youthish, like, his face. Right. But it's not, you know, it's it's sort of dreamlike. But basically, the big deal here is he's awake and he's seeing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's crossing through time and space and, and all of those Whatever things. Whatever it is. It's coming from the northeast. It's this strange light. It doesn't seem to be casting a glow anywhere else. Yeah. And as I looked, I beheld the head rise. The black, liquid, and deep-sunken eyes open in terror. And the thin, shadowed lips part as if for a scream too frightful to be uttered. There dwelt in that ghastly and flexible face, as it shone bodiless, luminous, and rejuvenated in the blackness, more of stark, teeming, brain-shattering fear than all the rest of heaven and earth has ever revealed to me. No word was spoken amidst the distant sound that grew nearer and nearer. But as I followed the memory face's mad stare along that cursed shaft of light to its source, the source whence also the whining came, I too saw for an instant what it saw and fell with ringing ears in that fit of shrieking and epilepsy which brought the lodgers and the police. Never could I tell, try as I might, what it actually was that I saw, nor could the still face tell, for although it must have seen more than I did, it will never speak again. But always I shall guard against the mocking and insatiate Hypnos, Lord of Sleep, against the night sky and against the mad ambitions of knowledge and philosophy. Man. People show up, as he said. Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. he's flipping out, and this is going on, and the for the neighbors show up, and then they call the police, and the police show up, and, yeah. you know, they finally... He, yeah, he, he... He passes out from this. He has a fit. Well, he says he has some kind of, like, epileptic shrieking fit, so... Yeah. He, he just when goes he comes nuts. to, yeah. when he comes to, or comes, he realizes, you know, the police are around, and they're like, hey, yeah. buddy, what's, you know, what's... And he can't tell exactly what's taking place. No. He does suffer, suffer from a shocking revelation. So they deny that I sold the last of my statuary and point with ecstasy at the thing which the shining shaft of light left cold, petrified, and unvocal. It is all that remains of my friend, the friend who led me on to madness and wreckage, a godlike head of such marble as only old Hellas could yield, young with the youth that is outside time, and with beauteous bearded face, curved smiling lips, Olympian brow, and dense locks waving and poppy-crowned. They say that that haunting memory face is modelled from my own, as it was at 25. But upon the marble base is carved a single name in the letters of Attica. Yeah. And Hypnos is written in Greek letters. It's written in Greek letters, yeah. Story. And uh, Attica is a subsection of Greece. It's uh, where Athens and stuff is. So. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Uh, there was one line in here that I really liked uh, previous to that. Uh-huh. Uh, where... <laughs> where the people uh the police and the people around him they they tell him <laughs> what he asks about his friend you know like what's going on with your friend they say they have said i know not for what reason that i never had a friend 
but that of art, philosophy, and insanity had filled all my tragic life. Like, who says that? Yeah. That's terrible. Like, like who was who this cop that said, yeah. you never had a friend, but art, philosophy, and insanity. <laughs> like, nobody said that. Yeah, it was Lenny Briscoe from uh, Law and Order. <laughs> Listen, pal, it, you don't have any friends. You don't have any friends. The only friends are art, philosophy, and yeah. insanity. <laughs> only things that filled your tragic life. <laughs> that was a good one. I really like that. So this story was uh, published, at, or it was penned in March 1922, but published in 23 in the National Amateur. All right. Still not getting paid. Um, <laughs> Love yeah. that. And he had written in his notes... Or in his commonplace book, yeah, a note that said, "The man who would not sleep dares not sleep. Takes drugs to keep himself awake. Finally falls asleep, and something happens." Yeah, that's that was his uh, inspiration for this. That's the germ. The germ for this uh, for this story. And I got to say that there's definitely a lot of Beyond the Wall of Sleep in here. That's kind of yeah. it's almost like you can almost say it's like a sequel or in the same universe as Beyond the Wall of Sleep. But there's a lot of you know Greek sculpture reference, which is the tree. Yeah. Um, and well, the, what happened? I mean, what is this about? What happens? In it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, it seems like he he made up his friend. His friend wasn't real. It was him right. all along. You know, like because if it looked like if the statue looked like him when he was young, and then he kind of looked like him when he was young, but he was in his forties, yeah. so I think it was just the insanity of this artist and all these things that he was doing was just kind of some aspect of himself. Other people talk about it as maybe it's literal, like there was a guy, and the guy who went too far was taken out of reality and punished by the god Hypnos. Ah, I see. And like that was like you know hypnosis warning to, to turn turn him to stone to, to marble. Yeah, basically, it's a very Greek punishment. Yeah, huh? And that's like hypnosis warning to him. It's like you know do you know you keep doing what you're doing, boom. Yeah, and you're gonna get some of that. But I I, I think I, I do think it would be interesting though if it was a split fight you know fight club kind of split personality deal. Yeah, where because then at least this time in the protagonist he's not this pathetic follower, right. but he's both. You know, he, right. he he's that aspect of himself, but he's also this this more adventurous right. person, um, which is a lot more interesting for Lovecraft. It's fine. He's stepping out of this kind of re- repeating thing that we keep talking yeah, about. So right. that if that is the case, that's really cool, and it is sort of a Tyler Durden, yeah. uh, which again bringing up on this podcast uh, <laughs> sort of thing. You know, where he was sort of a meek guy, and then his uh, his alternate personality was did all the stuff that he really wished that he could. Yeah, he, and maybe he literally sculpted what he wanted. This. You know, it's him. It's his face. Right. But that's the thing that he's throwing those aspects of himself right. into. Yeah. And and maybe it's just because he's lonely. And yeah. uh, um, this research that he's doing. I mean, it, it's like a lot of those other Dreamland stories where he usually is a very lonely person who's sickened by life, and so they retreat yeah. into their dreams and they retreat into their sleep selves. And he's doing this so much that he's even created a little friend for himself to go along with. Yeah. Him, you know? And who who would have guessed Lovecraft would have. Uh written about something like this <laughs> well now I, I, I don't think it was Lovecraft's intention but and especially since Hypnos has all those poppy plants outside of his dwelling this did almost seem like a picture of Dorian Gray kind of cautionary tale to me in a way about drugs oh because yeah, you know I our protagonist is seeking that sh- deep shift in perception that mm-hmm. drugs bring I mean he references drugs constantly yeah that they have to to do this the type of dream research that these guys want to do they take these exotic drugs to change you know open these doors of perception right and he gets more and more strung out and then part of him goes somewhere horrified Mm -hmm. and at the end of it all he's old and he's worn out 
and he's almost worshiping at this statue of himself when he was young. You know, all that he's lost because of this pursuit yeah. for enlightenment through yeah, these yeah, forbidden yeah. means. Again, I don't think that was Lovecraft's intention, but it, I, I find the story works on a much more interesting level when you, yeah, you, know, absolutely. you look at it that way. The, the, the deep costs, and this is a theme in all Lovecraft, there's a cost that's associated with seeking out right. you know, knowledge. And in this case, you know, it was a very heavy physical toll yeah. that was taken through the use of, of drugs. Or I remember, you know, this is this is kind of a different association, but um, you know, David Gahan, the lead singer of Depeche Mode. Sure, yeah. I was reading a recounting of when he was strung out on heroin, and he said that he lived in this little apartment in Santa Monica, and there was a Bugs Bunny stuffed animal that he had that was like his best friend <laughs> that he talked to all day, and he had a couple of stuff. But it was he would like watch the Weather Channel, and then he would go in and check in with his bunny friend. And they talked for a while, and he had this whole relationship with him. This is before he tried to commit suicide. And all wow. That uh, so, I mean, things like that happen, you know? <laughs> I guess so. But, yeah, I do have to say that, that that does make it a little bit more interesting of a story if it is kind of a, a, a cautionary tale of, of drug use, specifically like heroin or, or, or opiates. Opium, yeah. yeah. So, in uh, this was written in March, I said, 1922. Mm-hmm. Just a little historical context, of, and also what's going on with Lovecraft. Uh, at this point in his life, we haven't really been talking about this much. We've kind of been jumping into the stories mm. quite a bit. But uh, he is, uh, he's met Sonia Green, and they've started a relationship. Uh, they're not married yet. Oh, really? Yeah. But uh, Lovecraft doesn't write much about uh, his courtship with her, or there isn't, there isn't much evidence like left. Right. We so, don't really know. I mean, how did they meet? Uh, they met at a conference in Boston. I think it was in Boston. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is Sony Green, for people who are listening. This show only is his future wife. They get yes. Married. Yeah, they're going to get married. Uh, and so this is the point. This is after his mother died, mm. which was um, in the summer of 21. And now we're kind of, you know, it's almost a year ago. So he's been with Sonia Green, but they haven't... We don't know exactly what happened in their relationship, like how their courtship went or what exactly was going on. Because right. he didn't really write about it. Or if he did write about it, there are no letters to tell us that he did. So, But... Some other interesting things in March of 1922, Nosferatu came out in the theater. It was the, the year that movie was released. F.W. Murnau film. Yes, uh, which is a, a favorite of, of mine. And also good old Gandhi was arrested in Bombay for uh, sedition. So that was also going on in yeah. the world at large there. So the British were still, you know, rocking India. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else? No, well, uh, our reader, Stephen Day Clark. And I'd like to thank him. He did a great job, and he's awesome. Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, great job, great stuff. Uh, and just want to let people know, we are, we still have a few of those CDs left. Yes. We uh, had uh, said if you donate $20 or more before the end of the year that you'll get one of those. Uh, this is the last day of the year. However, yeah, you know, look, the deadline's getting moved a little bit. We've got a few of these left. So. Yeah. If you want to donate over the next couple weeks, we'll be sure to ship you a CD. Yeah, we're not going to stiff you on nothing. But hopefully, <laughs> we're going to have a, a new offer for you uh, at, yeah. in the next year. Very so, soon. So, so when we so so this this will end when we figure out what that is. Exactly. Uh, next week we are doing uh, a tour, another oh, yeah, tour, another double feature, a double feature. Uh, what the moon brings, which is very short, mm. and Azathoth. Azathoth. Man, we're getting into yeah. some freaking outer god stuff. That's right. Uh, I want to wish everybody the best New Year's Eve. Hope yes. you have a great time. Be safe. Remember the lesson of hypnos, though, man. Don't go too far. Take we'll it end easy. Up old and creepy <laughs> in a room with a statue of you. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Fife. And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. Yeah!
hppodcraft.com.